Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Well, it's great to be with you. My name is Bob Aykroyd, coming from Edinburgh, where I teach at ETS. And as we begin, I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to pray. So the first reading I'm going to have is from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement, propitiation. Through faith in His blood, He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great privilege of studying your word and your truth, and of considering the way in which you have provided for our our salvation through Jesus, that in his sight we are now declared to be righteous. So continue with us. Give us wisdom and guidance, we pray, and all for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Folks, that was considered by Sinclair Ferguson to be the most significant paragraph in the whole of the New Testament. And it is a great intro to our study today where we're going to be looking at justification and adoption. I'm going to be highlighting a few other issues along the way. Uh, I've sent uh, a handout which is probably too long and too extensive, but it gives you some more information, some places to look, and some resources to explore if you want to find out more. But on the opening page, I this is the my introduction to systematic theology. We have Michael Horton reminding us that our study has four elements to it, each of them beginning with a D. We have the big picture, the drama. We then have the doctrines from which come out of the big story today, justification and adoption, which should lead us to praise doxology, and finally should inform, encourage, motivate, undergird our discipleship as followers of Jesus. So you and I, as we read the Bible, we are part of this big story, and from that big story we draw these great doctrinal truths. There I have also given you four helpful questions that any study of any doctrine should ask first and foremost, what does the Bible say? But we don't just read the Bible in isolation. We read the Bible with the last 20 centuries of God's people. So what has the church believed? And finally, or thirdly, how does it all fit together? We, we want a theology that's coherent rather than incoherent, that fits together logically. And how does this doctrine impact the church and its people today? Some helpful questions to begin our study. Two warnings 
Um, first is that we need to be humble in our endeavor. I've given you a couple quotations there, one from uh, John Calvin and one from John Owen, uh, really to say that we need to be humble and we need to be aware of how little we actually know. Uh, as John Owen says, we speak much of God. The truth is that we know very little of him. We know so little of God because it is God thus to be known. And that undergirds the words of John Calvin above where he says that the precepts of the Christian religion, he says the first, second, and third should be humility. That we are creatures. We are considering the creator. We are finite. We are considering the infinite. We are, we are sinful. We are considered, considering the one who is altogether pure. You'll see as well that the warning from C.S. Lewis, which encapsulates the language of Martin Luther, we're not balanced people. We don't get it right. And very often we get it wrong in different ways. Like the drunk man on a horse, we get on the horse on one side, we fall off, we get on the horse on the other and fall off in the opposite direction. And much of the history of theology has been these pendulum swings that go from one extreme to another. The book of Galatians, legalism. The book of Corinthians, um, license, doing what you want as you want. Neither of those is the gospel. So we want to be balanced. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon there gives us a helpful insight by telling us that no two truths can contradict one another. So if the Bible teaches something, it is true. If the Bible teaches another truth, it is true. Uh, so for example, the the doctrine of sanctification, which you'll be looking at next time. The Bible teaches that it is both definitive, once and for all, and progressive, that we grow. And both of those are true. But what I wanted to really focus our attention on are the words that we have at the top of page two. Great insight that um, Sinclair Ferguson has for us. He says, regarding the benefits, salvation, because that's really what we're looking at here, the benefits of Christ's work on the cross. He says this, the first thing to remember, of course, is that we must never separate the benefits from the benefactor. The benefits being regeneration, justification, sanctification from the benefactor, of course, is Jesus. Christians who are most focused on their own spirituality, says Ferguson, may give the impression of being the most spiritual. But from the New Testament's point of view, those who have almost forgotten about their spirituality because their focus is so exclusively on their union with Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished are those who are growing and exhibiting fruitfulness. Historically speaking, he says, whenever the piety of a particular group is focused on our spirituality, that piety will eventually exhaust itself on its own resources. Only when our piety forgets about ourself and focuses on Jesus Christ will our piety be nourished by the ongoing resources uh, uh, the Spirit brings to us from the source of all true piety, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just saying that we begin with Jesus, we continue with Jesus, and we end with Jesus. He is the start and the middle and the end of our theology. We never move on from Jesus. We never move on from the gospel. And I'd like just to use the 36th question of the Shorter Catechism as a, as a guide for our deliberations today. 
The question is, what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? And the answer there, the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase in grace, and perseverance therein to the end. The first heading that I have on the handout is union, and that's the language that Ferguson was using above, and that's the language that we see time and again in the Bible, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the union that we have with Jesus Christ is the foundation through which all these blessings flow. There you have 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, uh, 17, uh, ch chapter 5, verse 17. Galatians 2.20, critical text. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are in him, he is in us. And the life I now live in the faith, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. As John Owen reminds us that our union with Jesus is the cause of all of our other graces that we are made partakers of. They are all communicated unto us by virtue of our union with Christ. Hence is our adoption, our justification, our sanctification, our fruitfulness, our perseverance, our resurrection, our glory. We must be united to him. And when we are united to him, every benefit and every blessing flows from him to all of his people. This union is mysterious. It is both vertical and horizontal, connecting us with God and connecting us with one another. And this union is transformative and, and powerful. The language of the New Testament illustrates the idea that we are stones in a temple, relationship of husband and wife, vine and branches. These are all ways of describing this mystical but real union that exists between us and our Savior, Jesus. This brings us to our first topic, namely justification. Justification is a declaration of righteousness. Romans chapter 3 makes it critically clear. We are declared to be righteous in Christ. We cannot underestimate the, the importance of this truth. This is what Martin Luther rediscovered at the beginning of the Reformation, that it's nothing to do with us, that it's all to do with Christ, with his work on the cross. Hence, John Calvin can say that justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. If you think of a door, if a door doesn't have a hinge, it's of no value. But the hinge is, is so critical uh, to the functioning of the door and is so critical to the functioning of our life of faith. Um, so justification is a declaration. I've given you some quotations there from our own larger catechism, from one of Luther's Lutheran confessions, that just states that justification is nothing to do with us, but justification is everything to do with Jesus. That we are justified by faith through Christ. This justification is not... Um, 
This is not to do with what we have done or what we will do, but it is focused first and foremost upon Him, His work, His life, His death, His resurrection from the dead. So we are justified, declared righteous in Christ. Using the technical language, this is forensic. This is courtroom language, declared righteous. And this is objective. It matters little what you think. It matters little what I feel. If God declares us to be righteous, we are in his sight righteous. We have the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. There's a great exchange that has taken place. My sin goes to Christ. His righteousness comes to me. I am now seen in the beloved, united with Christ, united to him, and therefore in God's sight, I am now seen as righteous, declared to be righteous in Christ, justified, justified by faith and by faith alone. But of course, as Martin Luther went on to say that we are justified by faith alone, but faith that is alone is not faith. Biblical faith is never alone. Biblical faith always prompts or produces within the life of the believer, the man or the woman, a new life of joy, of peace, of obedience, of good works, of, of worship, of, of, of honor, of glory, etc. So justification is an act of God, a definitive act of God, where he declares us righteous by faith in Christ and by faith in Christ alone. The next topic is adoption, and this is very close to my heart because at the age of six months, I was legally adopted by uh, my mom and dad. I was originally called Thomas Gilroy. I'm not Thomas Gilroy anymore. I'm Robert Aykroyd. My parents were Denny and Ruth Aykroyd. I lived at 21 Windwood Road. That's what my birth certificate tells you, who I am, who my parents are, when I was born, and that is a legal document. And adoption is just that. It is a change of status, an objective change of status. Now, there are subjective truths, but justification and, and adoption are very much objective truths of what we now are in Christ. And the language of John uh, with regard to adoption, John chapter 1 and verse 12, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we are children through adoption. We are sons. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 tells us that those that apart from the grace of God, we are slaves. But through the adopting work of God, we are now sons. Uh, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So our status has been changed and transformed. We are no, no longer slaves to sin. We are sons. We are no longer servants at the table. We are members of the household seated at the table. So justification uh, changes our status in God's sight. No longer a sinner, now righteous. Adoption changes our status in God's sight. No longer a slave, but now a son, a child, born, 
brought into the family, legally adopted, and transformed by his grace. Using the language of Spurgeon in one of his sermons, he says that there is a dignity of believers, that adoption gives us the rights of children. Regeneration, which is closely associated with adoption, gives us the nature of children. We are partakers of both of these, for we are sons. This is distinct. This is distinct from justification, distinct from regeneration, but inextricably linked to both. You see, as a Christian, you can't be justified and not adopted. You can't be justified and adopted and, and not born again. All of these benefits and blessings flow to all of God's children. We might not appreciate it, we might not realize it, but this is our birthright, our new birthright. Children, sons, heirs, uh, born again into a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The third subject, just going from the catechism question, deals with sanctification. I'm not going to go into that in any depth because that's going to be your subject next time. But notice that sanctification involves two things. It involves dying and living. Dying more and more unto sin and living more and more unto righteousness. That's just the pattern that God gives to his church and to his people. And the contrast is helpful to understand. Justification is objective and forensic courtroom language, whereas sanctification is often subjective. You have a growth, growing in knowledge, growing in understanding, growing in Christ-likeness, and is ontological. It deals with your being rather than your status. And Calvin helpfully reminds us that both of these are gracious gifts. He uses this phrase, double grace, that sanctification and justification are part of God's gracious, unmerited dealings with us. The whole may be thus summed up. Christ gives to us by the kindness of God, is apprehended by and possessed by faith, by, which, by means of which we obtain, in particular, a twofold benefit. First, being reconciled by the righteousness of Christ, God becomes, instead of a judge, an indulgent father. And secondly, being sanctified by his Spirit, work of the Holy Spirit, we aspire to integrity and purity of life. And both of these are God's gracious, unmerited, undeserved provision. This is just how he does it. Now, the second part of that catechism question, Shorter Catechism 36, tells us about the benefits that flow. And I'm just going to mention these very briefly. That for those who have been justified, those who have been adopted, those who are being sanctified, those who are united to Christ, the benefits and blessings that flow to his people, to his declared righteous people, to his adopted people, to those that are being sanctified through the indwelling of the Spirit. We have the assurance of God's love. God loves us and he tells us and he wants us to know that we are loved. We have peace of conscience. We have peace with God. That's reconciliation. We have peace of God. That means our troubled conscience, our troubled hearts, our troubled minds are put at rest by God. We have joy in the Holy Ghost, joy in the Holy Spirit, that we can have a joy that is not circumstantial, 
a joy that doesn't depend upon your situation. We can, with the Apostle Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I say again, rejoice. There's increase in grace. We grow. Just like a child is born, that child grows, that child develops. Just like a Christian is born again, that Christian grows, that Christian develops. And perseverance therein to the end. I've quoted at length R.C. Sproul on this because many of God's children lack perseverance or struggle with this particular topic. And in explaining the four, the five marks or the five uh, points of Calvinism, the final one, the P, a perseverance of the saints, um, Sproul says that this term can be dangerously misleading. He says it suggests that the perseverance is something that we do, perhaps in and of ourselves. I believe that saints do persevere in faith and that those who have been effectually called by God and have re been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit endure to the end. However, they persevere not because they are so diligent in making use of the mercies of God. The only reason we can give why any of us continue on in the faith is because we have been preserved. So I prefer the term preservation of the saints because the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. My confidence in my preservation is not in my ability to persevere. My confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with his grace and by the power of his intercession. He is going to bring us safely home. That is our assurance. Christ's work on our behalf. Christ's commitment to us. Christ's word of promise. And I'd just like to close identifying a few helpful elements to our Christian life. You see, when we are united to Christ, all these benefits flow to, flow to us. When we enjoy justification, adoption, sanctification, all these further benefits flow to us. But how can we be sure? How can we be secure? How can we be confident? Not in self, but confident in Christ. I want to leave you with just a few, a few things to consider. First of all, we have the promise of God's word. God says it. You know, Romans chapter 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. No one. Nothing past, nothing present, nothing high, nothing low. Nothing. Secondly, we have the strength of God's commitment. I give them eternal life, says Jesus, John chapter 10 and verse 28, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So you see, it's not the strength of your commitment to Christ that ultimately matters. It's the strength of his commitment to you. You see, it's very possible to have a strong faith in a weak Savior. There are many people who are trusting in things that cannot save. But you might have a weak faith in a strong Savior. That is far preferable. That the faith might seem like a strand, might, might just seem like a thread. But if you're trusting in Jesus, this is his promise to you and to me. There you have the promise of Hebrews chapter 13, 5. 
and I've given you a quote from Spurgeon that reminds us that there are five negatives which suggests that it is absolutely impossible that we could ever lose such a great salvation. The strength of God's commitment to us, the witness of the Spirit, our experience daily of God's goodness, baptism in the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, receiving the Spirit, being sealed by the Spirit. John Wesley put it this way. He said the two most fundamental elements of our theology are this. The work of justification, which Christ does for us, and the work of regeneration, what God does in us. Justification, God doing for us, and regeneration, God doing in us. When we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have the very person, divine person of God, the third person of the Godhead who is dwelling within us. He is strong when we are weak. He is wise when we are foolish. He is able when we have no ability left. So I hope that this gives you a brief introduction that you want to find out more. Please read some of the passages that I've identified. Look further into some of the resources, both the, in the confession or in the secondary material that I've given. And may God bless you. And may God strengthen you. And may God remind you that if your faith is in Jesus, you are justified. You are adopted. You are sanctified. You are part of his family because you are now united to his son. May God bless you. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.